You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good morning, everyone. Tom asked that I would speak on a psalm, so you'll notice the last couple of weeks we've been speaking on the psalms, and he said, a psalm to do with singing. Well, the psalms are fantastic, aren't they? Um, I'm so glad that God decided that they should be in the book. There, there just seems to be everything in them included that would, you know, it meets every eventuality. They seem to cover everything that can happen to us. And of course, that's because they were written by ordinary people. And life stuff just happens, doesn't it? Uh, and sometimes these ordinary people, they went through the mill because of things that they themselves had done, or sometimes other people brought trouble to the door. Well, Tom left it very open for me because the word psalm actually comes from a Greek word meaning a poem sung to musical accompaniment. So right in the middle of the Bible, so when you open you, the, uh, the Psalms, you're pretty much in the middle of the Bible, we have this collection there. And it's a collection of prayers of sufferers, those that are suffering. There's hymns of praise, there's confessions of sin, there's confessions of faith, there's nature songs, and there's Jewish history songs as well. But in every single one, the focal point is the Lord our God. I love to worship. I love to sing worship with all of you. I'm just so blessed but that men and women have such talent as to put together. It's as though they're in my head, in my heart, and they put together exactly what I want to say and exactly what I want to bring as a praise offering to our God. And we're really blessed to have men and women who have written these amazing songs. But I have to say, I think we are amazingly blessed here because we have got Simon and he's written so many. We've only heard a couple, but I happen to know because I sneaked to look at David's that there are amazing songs he's written and sung. And I'm looking forward to so many of things being brought over the next few weeks. But there are many others that we only know by name but they have given their talents, God-given talents, to really enrich the church. We had such a great discussion at home group this week about last week's Psalm 13. And one of the things that we were, were really struck us was how apt the Psalms are for us. And yet they didn't have, the writers didn't have the knowledge of Jesus as coming and being Savior and Lord and it's just amazing in all of the Psalms that we see Christ as Lord. We see him in the Psalms. And I want to bring you another Psalm today. And I'm going to read from the New International Version. And it's Psalm 8. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. 
You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all that swim in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now you've read, you've looked at that with me, so you know it doesn't actually mention singing. It's there, beautiful poetry set to music, and I just think it is such a beautifully written psalm. I can really imagine the writer, um, you know, much different from his last week's psalm, um, which was, you know, started off so differently, but I can imagine the same writer feeling his heart might burst penning this poem of praise and trying to convey just what has been done for us and what has been given to us. And it's amazing because it says it all and yet there's only nine short verses. I decided I would have a look at what a number of Christian commentaries had to say about uh, Psalm 8 and I found this one was the most enlightening for for us today. I'm going to read it to you. But I'm going to tell you that although it's for today, it comes, it was written by Matthew Poole, who was an English nonconformist theologian and Bible commentator who lived from 1624 to 1679, yet it's so relevant for today. You know, that's at the time of Richard Cromwell and a lot of issues for Christians in Britain or in England. And in fact, he di- eventually he had to, to flee from England and he died and is buried in Amsterdam. But enough of the history lesson. I do love history though. So here's what Poole says of Psalm 8. The scope and business of the Psalm seems plainly to be this, to display and celebrate the great love and kindness of God to mankind, not only in his creation, but especially in his redemption by Jesus Christ, whom, as he was man, advanced to the honour and dominion here mentioned that he might carry on his great and glorious work. So Christ is the principal subject of this psalm and it's interpreted of him both by our Lord himself, you can go and look later in Matthew 21 and 16, and by his apostle. So you can look, it's Apostle Paul, sorry. You can look in 1 Corinthians 15 and 27. You can look in Hebrews 2, 6 and 7. And this psalm still has much to teach us today. So I want us to look at it in three stages as framed by one of my favorite commentators that you'll all know is Warren Wearsby. He's an amazing guy. So the first is how we look at how it sits historically. So a couple of weeks ago, Ian reminded us that the Psalms were not all written by David, although he did write about half of the 150 Psalms. Well, Psalm 13 was written by David, and Psalm 8 is written by David as well. It's right at the, what I want to say to you is right at the beginning, before even the verse, the first verse, it says it's a Psalm of David, and it's for the director of music, according to Gittith. Now, there's lots of debate about Gittith. Some say it's a musical term, and when I spoke to Len, that was the immediate thing he said to me, it's a musical term. But then I also read that it's Hebrew origin and it actually means wine press. So, maybe it was for the harvest festivals. 
Some other commentators say it could be about the place of Gath. Remember, Goliath was Goliath of Gath. But also, we might, it might refer to the song of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, in whose house the ark rested, you'll remember. I mean, maybe it was sung over Goliath of Gath when he met his sorry end. Whatever its meaning, I'm really glad it's there because it's a real worship psalm and takes us right into the heavenly places. It's almost as if David is absolutely lost in wonder, love, and praise as he opens his psalm with this note of exclamation. He knows he'll never be able to explain or even begin to grasp the glory of God, but he also recognizes that God is in absolutely everything. Selwyn Hughes has said of verse 1, life just cannot be brought into perspective unless we have a clear vision of the majesty of our God. He goes on to say that we have nothing to build our lives on, nothing to make any sense without knowing he's in complete control. And we know that. We often wonder how the world manages without him. Selwyn Hughes says, if we lose sight of the great and mighty God, then we lose sight of the meaning of life. And the psalmist David understands that to be right. Oh Lord, he calls out. I can hear him shouting it. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, it doesn't matter where on earth you go, as high as the sky or on into outer space, down to the deepest part of the deepest ocean and everywhere in between, God's name is majestic. He made it all and it's wonderful. He's in all and through all. More than that, he's manifestly at work, even when we don't see it. I love that song. Even when when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. It feels a bit, everything's crazy at the moment, doesn't it? But God is always working, and he's always working for your good. The most amazing word in verse 1 for me is our. This is not God who's out there somewhere. He's the great God of the universe. He should be praised had he done nothing for us because of all that he's made, all that he is. But he's our God and has done everything to bring us back into the relationship that was lost, bringing bringing us back to himself. And the psalm comes very early on in the book of Psalms. And I can well appreciate the thought And it's my imagination, I know, but bear with me. I can imagine uh, David writing this psalm after slaying that great giant Goliath. Think of a youthful David praising God for the victory that day. Why would God pay attention to a little shepherd boy? But then there's wonderful similarities that we see between Jesus and David. They were both born in Bethlehem. They were both shepherds. They're both rejected by their brothers. They both faced an enemy in the wilderness, but one. They both, um, they both were exiles before they became kings. They both took a, pr- a bride while they were in exile. And both were del- beloved, because David's name means beloved. Historically, Psalm 8 is written early on in David's life while he was a shepherd, not while he was king. The second thing I want to look at is how the psalm sits doctrinally. 
And I know there's a bit of debate. I had a little debate with Len about this one, which was really good. Helped me to see what I thought as well. Um, because it can be it's claimed that it's a messianic psalm because it's applied to Christ in a good number of places in the New Testament. So the likes of Hebrews 2, 6 to 8. I'm going to leave you read, um, to read these yourself. 1 Corinthians 15, 27. Ephesians 1, 22. And also we said Matthew 21 and 16. Wearsby says that the main teaching from these verses is this Christ has regained all that Adam lost because of sin. That's something to be excited about. Christ has been exalted above the heavens and this has glorified God's name. Hallelujah. God's glory is no longer in a tent. It's no longer in a temple. It's above the heavens in Christ, but it's in my heart. It's in the hearts of ordinary believers. Psalm 8 verse 2 says, From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Christ was not heeded by kings and leaders, but by children. Were you not so blessed last week when the kids came in at the end? And they were praising. I've worked with kids all my life. I know they're good things and I know they're bad things. But oh my goodness, I couldn't believe the lump I had in my throat. I found it difficult to keep singing because it was so amazing just to see. And, And I had been going through this psalm already. So I was I was looking at it and thinking from the lips of babes and children. It was amazing. Jesus so clearly is Messiah, who he fulfills so completely all that was foretold in these Psalms. A couple of weeks ago, um, I was at Grange Primary and then along to um, Blackness Primary. And um, I was doing assembly there. The school has asked our church to be chaplains um, for the school, and that's an amazing privilege. Um, and I went along and I, was t- I told them the story of creation. So, Scripture Union have endorsed a book called Ten Must Know Stories from the Bible for Children. And so I decided that I would use the first story from there to tell God, about God creating everything. And it went right through until the fall. And they listened well. And I have to tell you, Corinne, your boys were angels. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, I went back on then to Blackness, which is a tiny, tiny little school. So when I did, when you do assembly there, they join in with you. They question everything you say. And so you've got to be really on the ball. It's more like a lesson than um, assembly, but it's great to go there. But, you know, it was really good for me to remind myself of the story because, of course, God's plan for mankind is quite different from what actually has now happened. And I can say with David... When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, David goes on realizing that God has been so let down by man, and yet he still cares for them. Adam and so man had to give up everything that he had been given by God. God had made him just lower than God. He'd put man in charge of all that he'd made, but it was lost by greed and disobedience. Do you know what? If it hadn't been Adam and Eve, it would have been somebody else because it's just how we are. Read Romans 5 um, to get the context of this, but listen to Paul's nevertheless. So from Romans 5 and verse 14, he says, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, 
even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam. Verse 17 says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man. And verse 21, death, um, sorry, sin reigned in death. Listen, death now reigned, sin now reigned, and Adam no longer reigned. He became a slave. But thank God, that's not the end. Because when Jesus Christ came to earth, he exercised the dominion Adam lost. So no one then and no one now can control the um, nature the way Jesus did. He said the word and the seas calmed right down. He walked on water. He spoke a word and the fig tree shriveled up and died. He removed sickness, disease and disability. Jesus came as the God-man taking back what Adam had lost. In our psalm, David gives a night scene to picture in verse 3, the moon and the stars. And I think that was most deliberately because Jesus came to a spiritually dark earth. But by humbling himself, becoming a servant, dying on the cross, taking the keys of death, hell, and the grave, by rising from the dead, Jesus glorified God and purchased a people who had been completely lost without him. Hebrews 2 and 8 reminds us, as if we need reminding, that nature is not in subjection to man. We see the floods. They took over all of the news until very recently. The earthquakes, the volcanic eruptions, the plagues, the coronavirus, the devastation that these things leave, yes. But we see Jesus. And we believe from scripture that because of his death and resurrection, that one day when, his, when he returns, his people will reign over a new earth alongside him. So my third point is, we've looked at the historical setting of Psalm 8, and it, it doctrinally is, we've fulfilled it in Christ. But what about what it means for us practically? Now, I haven't, I haven't polished this, I haven't even spoken to him, but... Pastor Dan, who was the pastor of the church we went to in Israel, All Nations Church, always had a question for the congregation when he spoke on Shabbat. And the question was always the same. It was? So what? So what? Well done. What does all of this mean for us today? What's the practical implications for us? What is God saying to us? I want to give you four things just to remember. The first is praise. They're four Ps, so they're easy to remember. Praise, position, power, and promise. The first one's praise. David was not a great king when he put his trust in God. He was a shepherd boy who learned that his God was king of the universe. If David had reason to praise God as a child like that, how much more should we praise him for his son who gave everything for us? Who am I that God should die for me? Who am I that he should lift me up? I will praise him for all he has done. This great God of the universe, we've sung about him this morning. This great God of the universe is now my father because his son was willing to come and pay the price for me. The second one is position. Second P is position. God made man in his own image, above the animals. But you know, we live in a world where this has been rejected to a great extent. And so there's chaos. There's chaos in our world. 
James 3 and 9 is a timely reminder to, uh, about a man, a man is made in God's image. And he says that we really need to treat people better because of that. We tell the children in school all the time. It's become quite a cliche, but it really means something. In a world when you, where you can be anything, be kind. How many times do we pick up a newspaper or we see something online or we hear it um, on the news and we're absolutely shocked by man's inhumanity to man? God has been dethroned by man and humanity debased as a result. So never let us forget our obligation as creatures made in God's image and, and more so our greater obligation because we are saints being renewed daily by Jesus Christ. We should always be the better person because we know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Romans 8 and 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's highest ideal for our lives is to make us like Jesus, to live in that position and to treat others as Jesus would. The third P is power. God has made it all possible for us. On our own, we're, we're lost. But God has made it possible for us to reign in life through him, his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 5 and 17 says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through this one man, Jesus Christ? We have victory over sin and temptation. Death has no power over us. We know it is conquered. We have assurance of life everlasting. And that's a wonderful place to be. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to read 54 to 57. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The victory is through Jesus Christ. We will reign with him. Do you know, folks, we do reign with him. His power is ours forever and forever. And finally, the last P is promise. We love the promises of God. They're great things to hang on to, aren't they? This psalm makes it very clear that God is very concerned about his creation. I'm going to read to you from Romans 8 and verse 19. The creation awaits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation is subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption as sons, 
the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? We are part of creation and we are included in what he will do. This includes the redemption of our bodies. Um, Let me read you verse 23 again. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We'll see him, and amazing, but ever so true, we'll be like him. That just absolutely blows my mind that I can think like, because I know how my thoughts are, and they go all over the place sometimes, but we'll be like him as well. First John, amazing words in First John chapter 3, in the first three verses. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and know what we will be. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The fact that Jesus Christ is on the throne today is proof that one day all creation will be redeemed. What a promise. But the promise is only to those who believe and know Jesus as Savior. There are a good number of references to this psalm um, throughout the New Testament. I've only given you a a, a, a few, but it's a great Bible study to do. Of all God created, only humans can ask the question of verse 4 in Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? But only the, the, the person who is redeemed can grasp the answer to this. Isaiah 53 and 1 asks such a question too. He says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, I want to tell you, I say me. Me. And you need to answer that for yourself too. Who who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Me. As I know everyone here, or most people here today would echo. We know it's truly amazing and wonderful that God would send his son to bring us salvation. He came as a servant and he died for us. But we also know, and we've sung about it this morning, The next time he comes, and he is coming back, he comes in judgment. So I leave you with two questions. Have you trusted him as your savior? And number two, are you permitting him to rule and reign in your life? An awful lot depends on your answer. But the good news is, it's not too late. So if you need help with either question, come and let us pray for you and lead you to the one who just longs for you to know his salvation and his wonderful plan for the next stage of your life with him. Amen.